Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Well, hello and welcome to Garden Success. We are glad you're listening and we hope you'll give us a call today. We can talk about anything gardening that you are interested in. Our phone number is 979-845-5689, 845-5689. Or you can email me at gardensuccess at tamu dot edu, gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Uh, well, uh, we're finally getting a little bit of a break in the weather coming up here. We get a little rain, and boy, the temperature's going to drop down. Be really nice, uh, and then in the coming days, uh, especially when we get past Sunday, that seems to be where it really starts to cool off for us. Um, I, you know, our lawns and gardens and everything have been through a lot this year, and it's been a it's been a difficult time for a lot of plants, and there's a number of different reasons. Uh, number one, the excessive heat shuts down plant processes. Certain plant processes are affected by the excessive heat, and that includes day heat and night heat, too. We need things to really cool off at night so our plants aren't afraid to open up their stomates and let some moisture out, um, do the respiration that they need to do. Uh, and we, we just have had some struggles with that. I've seen several kinds of plants that I'm, I think that was what was affecting them. Uh, but, of course, it's the, it's the drought. It's the lack of water. And it's always interesting because people will call the extension office and say, hey, I, uh, I'm watering my plant, uh, but it's still doing this. And I look at the plant, and the plant is showing distinct drought symptoms. And so what does it mean to water your plant? You know, do, how, how much do you water? Inevitably... Folks want to know, how long do I run my irrigation system? And irrigation systems vary a lot. Uh, there are different types of, of irrigation heads. There's the, the solid set spray head that comes up. Those are pretty common. Uh, and they just spray in all directions. They put out water at a pretty, pretty good rate. Uh, then there's the rotors that send the little stream back and forth across the lawn kind of as gears are turning inside, the, those put out less water. And then there's the multi-stream rotors where there are little tiny fingers of water drifting across the lawn and disappearing on the other, wherever the sprinkler is set to stop. And those put out even less water. So for me to say water five minutes or 45 minutes, it, it's kind of hard uh, to know without knowing the rate of application. Also, uh, when it comes to soil types and soil slope, if you have a clay soil with even a little slope to it, that water is going to run off. A, a clay soil, aside from, you know, worm holes uh, that are opening up a chamber into the ground and then the plant growth on top of it, just the clay. Some of the clays along the Gulf Coast take in water at one-eighth of an inch an hour. Now think about that. We'd like to get an inch of water in the soil when we can, at least a half inch. But to put out water at such a low rate that it actually soaks in and doesn't run off, that, that's very difficult in a clay soil. And so you may water for a while, but it's going down the street or somewhere else. Uh, another issue uh, with that, well, the way we deal with that issue is we do what's called cycle and soak. Your sprinkler comes on and runs for however long it can run before runoff starts, 
and then it goes off for about 45 minutes and then it comes back on again and waters again so you're so letting it soak between short irrigation cycles uh, in order to get that depth of watering that you're looking for and once you put water in the ground at that depth there's a lot of resilience now going back to people saying I water but yet the plants are drought stressed well if, if you water in just small amounts and you do not wet the soil deeply then trees and shrubs are going to have a hard time of it because the depth of wetting is so shallow. The grass may benefit some. It's really not great for the grass either, but it may benefit some. But other plants, they're not getting it. And trees and shrubs should be able to survive on what nature provides in Bryan College Station. It, they just should. Uh, but if you have a newly planted one, or let's say one, a tree that's less than five years in the ground, uh, well, yeah, the each year the root system gets better and it becomes more established and it has more extensive roots. But an established tree can take, oh gosh, it, it can take roots out to two and a half times or more, really more, the branch spread of the tree in all directions. So that's a lot of volume of soil to make it resilient. So if it gets dry for weeks, uh, it's the tree's probably okay. Uh, shrubs a little less uh, of an extensive root system, of course, uh, significantly less. But still, they're, they're woody ornamentals and they have an extensive root system for the plant size and therefore the plant water needs. So what do we do with all that? Well, if you're going to water, you got to get it into the bank account of the soil. And that's what happened a lot this summer is people either didn't water or they watered improperly or they didn't water enough, they didn't, meaning they didn't get enough water into the soil. And that situation has led to a lot of problems around town. I was just noticing yesterday driving around a pine tree, completely brown, a uh, cedar, our native cedar, uh, red cedar, completely brown, uh, you know, because it just it hit a point where it's like it can't get the water it needs anymore. That soil volume has been depleted, even though it's an extremely resilient plant, that volume got depleted and it turned to toast. And so... So now we're in the fall season. We've got plenty of water in the soil. I mean, soil is adequately moist. Your trees and shrubs should be fine. Uh, unless you just planted one, you know, a couple weeks ago or something. And, and yeah, it's got a confined system still, root system. So anyway, that that's kind of the thing on watering. And, of course, the lawns, uh, we could go into that. We did a lot this summer already. But uh, just knowing how and when to water. And a lot of, a lot of folks, because plants were drought stressed if now what we're we're in the end of October if we go through November let's say three weeks in November and no rain which we're not that's not going to happen probably but if we did the water use of plants is way 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 lower than it was in August when we were talking about what a hundred degree hundred degrees for 45 days and no rain or whatever it was this summer uh, so you don't have to keep watering it's okay. We get a we get some rains, which we've been doing, and get some bank account in the soil, uh, and then we don't have to water about that, worry about that. Now the the annuals like flowers and uh, the uh, annuals like vegetables, yeah, we we water those periodically, but don't think the shell shock of having gone through summer now we just need to keep watering because it it's what the plant needs, and what they need is based on, in in large part, what they're using. And so the water use of a plant goes way, way down as it cools off. And again, combine that with a replenished soil reserve and we can, we can back off. It, it's time to back off.
Uh, there are situations where, let's say it's in the winter and we're having milder temperatures, you know, maybe some 7 degrees and stuff like that, and you got an evergreen and uh, maybe it's fairly new in a bed. Well, yeah, you are going to occasionally water that if we don't get rain for any period of time. But by and large, you kind of can turn the water off in the winter aside from uh, annuals, that, and, and even with them, probably very little. Well, that was a lot about water. How about we talk about something you're interested in? Garden Success Radio Show calling in 979-845-5689, 979-845-5689, or by email gardensuccess at tamu.edu. I had an interesting question come in, and uh, I, I often will use a question and just not only answer the question, but talk about some of the principles around that answer. Uh, Albina uh, emailed, uh, I believe from Conroe, uh, asking about, is it possible to grow sea berry in Conroe, Texas, and what about filbert, and what varieties would I recommend? Well, for those of you who don't know, filbert is a nut, and it is primarily grown up in the Oregon direction. It can't take the coldest weather, so like the uh, central U.S., way up toward Canada direction, it gets too cold for filberts. But uh, I have never seen filbert recommended at a southern extension service ever, including here in Texas. Uh, but the interesting thing about filbert is that if you look online, there are some extension services that will say its its um, range is from, I, I can't remember the coldest, but let's just say six, zone six down to zone nine, even nine B, which would be way south of us. And I, I can't make sense of that. Uh, Filbert, I don't believe can take the heat here. I just don't think it can take the excessive heat here. So what do we do with the fact that people say it's in zone nine? Uh, well, one thing we do with it is don't believe everything you read online. Check several sources and because sometimes something gets said and then it gets repeated and pretty soon it becomes the official truth when it never was. Uh, so be skeptical about those things. The second thing to remember is zones are based on cold hardiness, which means how cold does it get at the coldest time in the winter? What is your typical midwinter low temperature. So we're in zone eight here. Uh, and so, you know, each zone is based on a range of temperatures. But what zones, hardiness zones don't tell you is how hot does it get in the summer or how humid is it? Or, um, let's see, what was the other thing I was going to say? The Oh, the nighttime temperatures, you know, for example. And those all affect plants. Now, if you look at, at a USDA hardiness zone map, and I, I would encourage you to do this, you know, you just go online and, and do a search for uh, USDA hardiness zone and look at the current map that, that is online. Uh, and and if, you, if you look at it, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull that up right here so I'm, as I'm talking about it, I can uh, speak a little bit clearer. The, the zone 8 that we're in goes all the way up and covers almost a third of Washington state on the west coast almost a third of Oregon on the West Coast. Now, that is a lot farther north than us, and it's a much lower hardiness zone as you go interior into the, into the, the uh, zone. 
But if you get right on the coast, the, the zones are less. If you are up in uh, the Great Lakes region uh, and you've got water coming off of uh, one of the lakes, that, that affects the, the cold temperatures that are there because that water has a warming effect, even though it's a very small thing, but it has a little, it doesn't mean you grow bananas in, in Indiana, but it just means that uh, it affects it. So if hardiness zones, if we can go all the way up into Washington on the west side of the Cascades and see the same zone that we're, we're living in here, what, what does that tell you? Well, it, it, it tells you that hardiness zones is just talking about the lowest winter cold. And again, it's the, the ocean that's helping modify that. And so when, when we look at plant zones, don't believe them. And when you see flowers and things that are for sale and it says they're, you know, they're heat tolerant or whatever, don't believe it. Not unless it's coming from someone who's here that knows what they're talking about, such as our A&M Horticulture Department, the uh, Texas Superstar plants, uh, you know, the earth kind roses and things they understand what we're growing in down here. And so uh, I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to stop and take a phone call. But I, I want to I come back to that just a little bit more because I still haven't finished answering the question. Uh, our phone number is 979-845-5689. And we're going to go talk to John. Hello, John. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, question about beets. Will beets overwinter if you cover them? You mean just leave them in the soil to to keep as if they were in a refrigerator kind of thing, or do you mean keeping them growing all winter? Keeping them growing. They, they will. Uh, beets aren't at the top of the list in terms of cold hardiness <clears throat> because basically beets and Swiss chard are the same plant pretty much. Uh, and so if you get a real hard freeze on Swiss chard, it'll burn it way back uh, to the ground or near the ground. Uh, if you can cover them and keep them from, let's say, going below, oh boy, I'm going to grab a number here. I would say probably uh, maybe the upper tw upper 20s, maybe the lower 30s. You can get them through. Uh, upper 20s is pushing it too far, uh, but you can get them through, and they can they can keep going. Okay. Uh, she had a, a question uh, about. Damn it. Yeah, the 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 thing what with what is the, what is the F thing? Uh, fennel. Fennel. Oh, fennel. Yeah, fennel. Fennel's moderately hardy, but not fully cold hardy. Yeah. Well, the the real question about that she had is she she's had a couple of maybe two or three fennel plants that have made it. Uh, the second year and she was wondering how how many years will they keep coming back oh keep going i've never tried keeping a a, a fennel i guess because it tends to we have a winter where it doesn't make it um that's a good question uh it is i, w I wouldn't expect it to just be a perennial and you know all our winters are different and sometimes right. we have one of those good freezes but it just dips down the last thing of the night and then b bounces back when the sun comes up and so, you know, it's it, it's hard to it's hard to generalize about these plants. It, it's it's really strange because, uh, of course, I, I think we we do cover them, but not not with anything heated or anything. And uh, mm -hmm. these and we've had and the last couple of winters have been pretty cold, and, and they keep coming back. And I mean, of course, the bulbs underground. Yeah. Well. Yeah. 
pretty kind of yeah at at the ground level pretty much yeah. well i tell you uh, you know a cover goes a long way uh when we're not dealing with a very hard freeze and a freeze with wind and things because what happens is the cover keeps the heat the air from rising you know going up the warmth of the soil is warm even on a if it's 50 degrees that's warm on a winter night and uh, so a cover prevents that and it stops the wind and as we know wind super chills things is versus stagnant air and and those combinations provided by the cover work pretty good for a lot of hardy uh, semi-hardy things remember when we went down to I, it was seven degrees at my house uh, in february of 21 I had a lot of plants in the winter garden, and I had covers over them. Uh, I used plastic to hold the air in, and I know we talk about letting plastic touch plants, but I had little hoops over them, and I was just trying to save the plants. And we had that snow cover over it, and I hardly lost anything underneath the plastic, and it was seven degrees. So that tells you something about covers. And, yeah, I didn't, I didn't add heat under there. I have to agree with you about the about the snow cover. We had the same experience. There were a, a number of, of plants that we had covered, and then the, you know, the snow covered the cover, and right. they just they came through in flying colors. Yep, <laughs> that's right. That is true. So there there are a lot of yeah buts when we start talking about what <laughs> what a plant can take. You know, yeah. uh, it, and, and just just remember, it's what temperature does that plant get? <laughs> that that's one yeah. way to look at it. Uh, you know, if that plant is under a cover and the whole plant comes through fine, but those parts that touched that plastic cover burn because of the, the it, it literally draws heat out of those spots as it radiates back into the air. Uh, you know, it's it's what part of the plant are we talking about now uh, as far as whether it makes it or not? Okay, well, we got we got some winter stuff in and, and uh, we're good. Fall, I guess it's say fall stuff, and it and it's looking pretty good. So well, good. It it boy, this we, uh, they ought to be happy right now. It's it's actually drizzling rain here up at Camp Creek, so oh, we're well. happy. <laughs> well, good for you, good for you in the garden. For a change. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Thanks a lot. All right, John. Thank you. I appreciate the call. Uh, we're gonna go back to the phones now and talk to Maggie. Hello, Maggie. Hello, Skip. Good afternoon. Afternoon. I have two questions. I have a Nellie uh, R. Holly, mm-hmm. and I w- needs transplanted. It. It's young. When's the best time of the year to do that? Uh, you can do it now. There's no no problem at all putting it in now, or you can wait until spring if you want. Uh, but but uh, I would, in fact, I would plant it now uh, myself. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, just for, let me just tell you this. It wasn't part of your question, but hollies will grow here. But the thing that is their uh, Achilles heel is drought during the first two or three years, especially the first year. Uh, it, they do not need dry conditions because you, before you know it, that's the whole shrub is. It, it has a weird way of turning brown on a holly, but uh, it turns brown and, and you can even lose almost the whole thing. Uh, so just make sure that you water the soil. Uh, I heard Neil Sperry the other day, uh, who's a great horticulturist. He he said uh, hand water hollies, and and the re- I know why he said that, because when you hand water, you consciously water all around that plant, and you know you're wetting it. And if you have a sprinkler system and some shrub is hitting the spray and deflecting it from not reaching part of the root system, you see what I'm saying? That yep. there's and and sprinkler systems don't usually run at the right amount and 
uh, application amount and stuff. So if you will hand water it, the fir especially the first year and even the second and third, you, it'll be well on its way. Great. And also, when is the best time to start trimming the live oaks? I left as much shade and leaves and branches on there because of the heat for the yeah. grass. Right. But when's the best time to go ahead and trim them and keep them looking nice? Well, I would say the best time is toward the end of winter. Um, th that is because the fastest time of wound healing is in the spring. So if you if we can get, you know, to late January here, early February, and do our trimming, uh, the healing process is fixing to kick in right after that, and that's good. Now, that said, live oaks get trimmed year-round, and, and they survive it, and they do just fine. It's just that you ask the best, and I would say the best would be uh, toward the end of winter. Okay, I can wait a few months. Yeah. I appreciate the advice, Skip. Thank you so much, and thanks for the show. Sure, Kimberly. And and if anything steps in, like, you know, it's rubbing the car when you drive into the garage or anything that's, like, exceptional, tr print, print it anytime you need to. I just want to be real clear about that. Right, of course. Okay. This is one of those times where I just want to keep them going in a nice shape, and I figured... Don't worry about this summer. It was just an exception. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's All right. I can wait till the end of January. Thanks right. so much. Dude. Thank you. Okay. Appreciate the call. Our phone number is 979-845-5689, and our email is gardensuccess at tamu.edu. I'm going to go back to this circuitous answer to Albina's question about can you grow Seaberry and Filbert? Uh, oh, I need to go back to the phone. Sorry. We're going to go back now and talk to Kimberly. Hello, Kimberly. Hi. Good morning, Skip. Good morning. I almost um, left you out in the cold. That's okay. <laughs> I was going to wait. Um, you were talking about water earlier, and unfortunately, I was one of those poor souls who couldn't walk. Um, so my yard really looks bad. Okay. It's St. Augustine, and I don't know if it was due to sprinkler issues or chinch bugs, which I did treat for, but it has quite a bit of just completely dead spot. Okay. Now, so my question is, now that we're getting into the dormant season, what are the best steps to take to try to save the yard? I mean, it's... I'd say it has more than 50% grass, so mm -hmm. there's a good chance of it to come back. But I didn't know if putting down compost or aerating right now would even do any good or if it's better to wait until the spring I definitely and do that. Yeah, definitely wait. Definitely wait okay. on all that. Um, now, the, the advantage of putting compost down in the areas that are dead is that you're blocking light from the soil. I mean, you're not putting compost three inches deep, you're, but you're putting about a half inch of it. But still, that helps. Because any area that was dead and now doesn't have grass cover, the potential for cool season weed germination gets high. Uh, and so, <laughs> you know, you have to deal with yeah, that. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of that right now, which I'm yeah. pulling those, but um, yeah. I didn't treat it. So Right. So uh, I would look at the areas and... You know, there's a trade-off between how much money do you want to spend and how fast do you want it to look good. Uh, and so the the on the fast look good is you just resod those areas completely. I wouldn't do that right now. We are at the end of mm -hmm. the grass root zone growth time. I mean, it, it's not like they stop and they don't grow at all, but they're they're starting to taper off a lot. And so you lay sod and you're not getting the good establishment like you would have a little earlier in the month even. 
Uh, and yeah. so I would wait until spring to lay sod. But if you if somebody needed or you had some HOA said you had to do it or whatever, then you can lay it there. But just be real careful taking care of it because it's not going to be very resilient at all. Yeah, I really don't want to lay more sod. I would really rather try to. It's gonna, it needs to be built up anyway. Mm-hmm. It's going to have to have some some compost or some soil added. So okay. I figure if I can just do that and really treat it well, then yeah. hopefully if we don't have another horrible summer, right, it can recover. Well, if but you, to do all that, just wait until the spring basically then to do that. Well, uh, as, as far as the compost top dressing, you could do that now. I mean, okay. it, there's not a problem with that. If you're, You just don't put it real deep, maybe a half inch, mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, but, you know, as far as uh, aerating, no, uh, that, that, okay. that does some damage initially to the grass, but when we hit about mid-April and the grass is really moving fast, then aeration doesn't, it's not a concern, and it actually works toward helping it if your problem is, is compacted soil or heavy clay. Okay, well, I'm sure part of it is. Is there anything um, that's better to put on it besides the winterizer right now? I, I would use, uh, and I'm going to, kind of clarify the the word winterizer because a lot of stuff gets sold with that name on it uh but if if you find a fertilizer that instead of all summer we're talking about 312 and 412 ratios if you can get that first number nitrogen instead of being three or four down to about two not on the bag but the ratio so like 212 or something Mm -hmm. uh, and keep that potassium the third number up that is what i would call a fall fertilizer or if you want to use the term winterizer that's fine. But the sooner you do that, the better for the same reason that I just said about root growth. Uh, you're putting it down. You want the roots to take it up. And they'll be taking it up for a few weeks still. But the their efficiency and speed of uptake and everything starts to decline as we get colder moving into the fall. Yeah. So I would Which do it sooner happen. rather than later. Okay. Yeah. And that's a and that's that a fast be easy. In? Yeah, you yeah we water it in. Well, now okay. yes we do. Uh, whether it's organic or synthetic, you gotta you need to water right. it uh, in. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you. All right. Thanks, Kimberly. I appreciate that call very much. Uh, our phone number is nine seven nine eight four five fifty six eighty nine or by email garden success at tamu dot edu. All right. Well, let me go back now to my circuitous answer to Albina's question about uh, growing seaberry and filberts here. So I just went into this long tirade about uh, just because a plant says it grows in zone nine doesn't mean it'll it'll grow here. And I don't think filberts will. Uh, I I can't say I've seen a trial of filberts. I'm sure at one point in time or another, uh, A&M probably did that. But I lived in Missouri for a while, and uh, three years, and Filbert's had a little bit of a difficult time being successful there. I don't know why, because that, that definitely is colder. Uh, seaberry is another example of the same thing. You may see someone that says seaberry goes to zone 8 or 9, and I saw, I've seen both online, uh, but you're not going to get it to grow down here. It's just too, uh, too blazing hot for too blazing long, day and night, uh, and so on. So uh, unfortunately, uh, 
you sounds like you may be a transplant from up north uh and uh but if whatever i i you're not going to get those to grow here we have other things that'll grow and fruit here you're in conroe of course you're you're getting in a little more acidic soils in many of the areas over there you get away with some blueberries uh, that's a wonderful berry uh and certainly other other nut crops uh as well uh, but i hope that answered your question uh we had a uh a question from Carla, and Carla has a Japanese maple that's well established, and but the trees start turning brown, and it's kind of a section of a tree at a time. And do you have any thoughts on you know what's attacking it, and and what can they do? Should you cut back the limbs, or will they come back, and so on and so on? Uh, Japanese maple is a plant that would prefer to be in an acidic environment. Uh, maybe a little bit on the cooler side, but you can get Japanese. There are Japanese maples in Houston, Texas. They they can grow here. Uh, the broad foliage types uh, are better than the thread leaf foliage types. Uh, and it look I can see from the picture yours is a broad foliage type. So think of something rather than a really thin, you know, uh, jagged fingers as the leaves. As, as the fingers on the leaf, something that's more in the direction of what uh, maybe, well, not as fat as a maple, but something more like that, where you have more leaf tissue. Uh, those are the kinds that I've seen that do better. They like to be in an environment where they have some afternoon shade, uh, morning sun maybe, uh, and some filtered light through the day. That's really good. And they can do pretty well. But it's, this is kind of like what I said about um, the uh, hollies before. You just need to keep them watered, and they're not going to be happy with the water around here. Uh, if if that's the only moisture they're getting, uh, there, there's a lot of sodium and bicarbonates and things, and you see a lot of tip burn on Japanese maple in those conditions. I see also on your plant some splits in the bark, and that, to me, looks like southwest injury. Uh, I would be curious, if you happen to be listening, you can reply to the email again, uh, if those splits are on the southwest side of the tree. They don't necessarily have to be. We can get freeze cracks all over the tree, but wherever the sunlight hits the bark, uh, and it's the warmest time of the day, that is why we see on the southwest side of the tree, the low traveling sun in winter warms it up, and then that night it drops down, and those tissues are not as hardy as the rest of the tree. Uh, but I do see the tree trying to callus over. And uh, for any of you listening that have trees that have had splits or lost pieces of bark, when you see the sides, it's almost like a lava flow coming in real slow to close over the wood, the interior wood. That's a good sign. That means the plant has some vigor and that it is, it is trying to fix what it lost. Depending on how much it lost, it that may be feasible or not. Uh, I would have said drought was the problem uh, with the plant, Carla, but your description of appearing a section at a time uh, is kind of curious. Uh, there has to be a reason for that. And unless you can think of something that changed around the plants over time, let's say the, the last couple of months, uh, I'm beginning to lean a little toward a root rot there are some root rots, cotton root rot is a good example, where you can have trees that one branch dies and then further into the tree branches die and then further into the tree branches die because it's working its way through the root system. We had, a, we had fruit, growing up, we had a fruit trees in a little backyard, mini orchard, and I, I saw cotton root rot just take one tree and then the next one and the next one and even doing that to part of the tree as it moved across there. So 
that description kind of makes me wonder about that. The only way to know that for sure would be to send a sample to the plant clinic here on West Campus. Plantclinic.tamu.edu is the website. Uh, and uh, you would have to talk to them about how to take that sample or maybe send them some photos and see if they uh, agree that a sample is warranted even. But there's a lot about Japanese maple there, but uh, in case anybody else is wanting to plant one or has one, uh, hopefully those thoughts will be helpful. We're going to go back to the phones now, and we're going to talk to Susan. Oh, hello, Susan. Hello. How are you, Skip? I'm well. I hope you're ready for this cold weather we're fixing to get. I, I have the parkas out. Uh, we've got the, the dog sled ready in case it snows, so we're we're ready to go. <laughs> Well, I'm trying to get ready, and that led me to my thought and my question. I have a Myers lemon tree that I have planted in a fairly large pot that I keep on my front porch, which faces the east. Okay. And just, um, I'm, I'm a little bit north. I'm about an hour and 45 minutes north of you. Okay. <clears throat> now, I heard you say it one time, and I didn't realize it until it happened to me. And then I remembered you talking about it. Mm-hmm. But I had a worm that got on there and ate my my little tiny um, lemons that were starting to produce. Hmm. But I can't remember exactly what time of the year that is. So new to the Myers lemon tree, I would like you to just sort of like go over a little bit of everything. Like, I don't know if I should leave it on my porch during this cold snap or put it in the garage, or because it's kind of okay. large to move. Okay, now, or should I just cover it? Or yeah, good, good, good questions. All of them good questions. So, you set a fairly large pot. Uh, how many inches wide is fairly? <laughs> I would say it's a square pot. Oh, okay. It's more of um, eighteen inches oh, to, okay. you know, maybe. 20 okay that's a good 25 inches tall that's a good size Uh, i usually think of trying to get the volume about of a half whiskey barrel somewhere in that range and and you're going to be pretty close to that close yeah it's it's a little bit more narrow but it's taller than that i would say okay good well that should do just fine uh so the best thing to do is when we're going to drop down below 30 uh this is on your porch is this a overhang over the porch Yes. Okay. So that's, there's a little bit of protection there. If it's going to drop down below 30, uh, or even if you're just concerned, you can roll it into the garage. And, and uh, I have a little hand truck, also called a dolly. You slip the yeah. lip underneath the pot, put a strap around the pot, and it is so easy to move plants that way. I mean, I the strap holds the pot to the dolly. <laughs> oh, it's pretty slick stuff. And and you can run it in, in the garage uh, and, and then bring it back out. It's an evergreen. It needs sunlight. And it'll stress it to be in for too long uh, in the garage. If you wanted to try covering it, uh, there are different ways to go about it. But one example would be you build a a PVC um, box, like the box kites. You know, you have a frame uh, all, Mm -hmm. all around it. And you don't glue it together. You just fit it all together, make it snug, and make it a little bigger than that lemon tree. Uh, maybe even a extra bigger 
because the tree's going to grow for next year. I like that because you can take those apart. It's like playing with Tinker Toys, for those who remember Tinker Toys. Uh, and it, you take it apart and you store your frame in the garage and then it's ready next year. And then cover it with clear plastic. I mean with, yeah, clear plastic. Uh, if it's not in the sun. You can cover it with black plastic, too, uh, if the sun is going to be shining on it. Or a tarp. And make sure you seal the edges so wind isn't whipping up underneath there because that, that defeats the purpose. Then get you a, a clamp light or two. Uh, do you know the aluminum-shielded clamp lights? that? Yes, are so... I have plenty because we raise chickens. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Do you ever know clamp lights? Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, um, so... You're, you're already set up. Don't put a heat lamp on it, you know, those uh, hot, hot heat lamps. Just The just, red lamp. The red lamp. Yeah, the, the red type. Oh. You just need, you know, maybe 150 watts or something. Not a LED for sure, uh, if they even make those bulbs for those. But uh, something that puts out a little bit of heat. And you put it down low uh, and, and just shine it down. Don't shine it against the trunk. Don't put it close to leaves you know, where you're going to overheat them. Uh, and that heat will rise up underneath that cover. And, oh, my gosh, you can probably take a, a Meyer lemon, which would probably start to die below 30. You can probably take it down to 22 if you keep the wind out of the of the um, cover. Well, it's possible for me to keep it on the porch and never put it in the garage. Okay. Well, you figure a way. Are you saying that? Yes, I am. I'm because saying. Because, yeah, because. If you can create dead air space and you can slightly warm that dead air space, it makes a huge difference. And if you're ever kind of not sure, you could go in there and peek at a thermometer inside on a frosty night just to get an idea. But all you're trying to do is keep especially the root ball and the base and the stems of the plant uh, alive because it can re-sprout from there if it had to, but uh, really the whole plant alive. Uh, but in a container on top of the ground, the roots get a lot colder than containers in, or than plants in the soil. So just remember, right. it's not just the top of the plant you're worried about because these roots are not made for cold weather either. Okay, so last year because the worm ate all, it was one worm I found it. He was really, really big. It looked similar to my tomato worms. Okay. But um, what time of the year does that worm come out? And when, like, I I missed a whole year of having lemons. And after having them, and they're so wonderful, yeah. I want to do everything I can this year to make sure I'm watching it. Uh, I don't know which worm that is. Uh, I have not seen worms as a citrus problem. And I know, obviously they are. They, they eat yours. Uh, I just have not run into that. The The problem we have on citrus is the leaf miner that makes trails all through the leaves and causes them to turn silver and crinkle oh. up. Uh, okay. But but the worm, I, th those are not difficult. Just check your plants once a week you right. know, when you're going through the season. Look over. So and when it, are they actually supposed to start making little lemons? When's the right they, time of the year? Let me see. On my on uh, Meyer lemon, I need. I collected I need lemons like in winter one year. Mm, oh well, they hang on the tree a long time. Uh, a yeah. lot. Some of our citrus blooms at a certain time and fruits, and it has like one cycle a year. And some citrus has more than one cycle a year. And I should know this, uh, so I'm going to have to have to look it up right here uh, in just a second. Uh, but anyway, the um, the the Meyer lemon is not near the top half of hardiness, but it's not the most cold tender citrus that we have either. 
Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so one more question about it. Okay. This year, it produced some really long, and not super strong, but really long um, shoots, I guess you would want to call them. Mm-hmm. Should I trim some of those back? Because, I mean, it's it's got an awkward shape to it. So I was wondering on trimming it, what really... T- tell me the plant again. I missed that. It's a Myers one. A Myers. Okay. I would not prune anything that's somewhat cold hardy after August, probably even early August maybe, but uh, okay. just because to to create succulent growth, that is going to get cold damaged. You know, the old hardened right. off growth is, is going to be much better. So I, I wouldn't prune those kind of things later than that. I also wouldn't toss a whole bunch of fertilizer on them in the fall, early fall or late fall. Uh, because that does the same thing, and even water uh, okay. can help promote uh, that kind of that kind of uh, stimulation to the plant. So I would wait until spring, uh, as it warms up and growth is ready to begin. That would be a good time. Uh, you can do small applications through the course of the the um, uh, season. You don't want have to dump it all on at once. In fact, it's better if you don't. Uh, just give them some small applications as you go through the season. Okay. Yeah, That's that fine. that should right. that should should help that one a lot. There's a publication uh at the Aggie Horticulture website and it's okay. and I'll it's called it's called Patio Citrus. Patio Citrus. And it has a lot of good information on it on different kinds of citrus and growing citrus on the patio. I don't see Meyer Lemon on the on that publication, uh but they talk about uh, they have some they have several different links that are good too so i would check that out i think that would apply to what you're doing well thank you very much all right susan thank you i appreciate the call all right right, here we go we're going to go back to the phones and talk to roy hello roy howdy skip um i just sent you an email with uh some pictures i don't know if you've received it but um it's uh, i've got two trees that i kind of want your initial opinion on um, I, I called last week and I wanted to I wanted to follow up with a picture of the tree. So the first tree uh, is a post oak that seems to be leaning a bit, and the roots at the bottom of it. And I I got a I got a close up of the roots for you as well. Um, seems to be breaking off a little bit. Um, and then the second picture uh, of the third picture, sorry, is a is a pine tree that's only green at the top. Yeah. Uh, there there's there's needles at the very top, and then everything else is barren. And I'm pretty sure the freeze that we had uh, really took that and, and, and gave it some damage there. But I just wanted your initial opinion on those things. Okay. Uh, no, first of all, I only got one picture, and that's the pine tree. Oh, no! Uh, what kind okay. of, do you know what kind of pine that is? I do not know. It, okay. It was just with the house we bought it. Very, it's some different kind of pine. Well, uh, what's happened is all the older needles have turned brown and fallen off. And the new needles, needles the tufts of needles at the end of the shoots, they're still alive. And that's a good thing <laughs> for your tree. Okay. okay. Pine, pine, no, nowhere, if you like start at the end of a shoot with all the green needles and you go back, once you pass all the living needles, that, bl- that branch cannot re-sprout from there. So okay. that you're never going to get that whole interior filled with needles. Uh, everything that's lost is lost. Every branch that has no needles on it, you can, it, it's not going to sh- shoot back out, and you just end up oh, cutting no. cutting them off. Yeah, uh, pines, arborvitae, cedars, juniper, all that kind of stuff that they can only regrow from living 
the base of living needs. That's where the living viable buds are. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Um, I just sent you that second one. Maybe it came okay. through. Uh, well, maybe it'll, it'll pop through here, but yeah, pine. That's an that I'm trying to figure out what kind of pine that is. Very unusual looking uh, for a pine. So, so um, do you recommend? I guess uh, I guess it's like a uh, an aesthetic thing now. If we're only going to have uh, those needles at the, at the top, at the very top there. Yes, at that it is, and unfortunately, a lot of tree decisions are based on aesthetics. Uh, we we've right. had a lot of trees that have died back and and stuff. Okay, I got your I have your um, your oak. Uh, what was your question about the oak? So it's it's just it's just we just noticed it leaning over yeah. a little bit more than usual. Um, and when I was mowing the grass the other day, I, I ran over one of those roots and I was like, oh no! And I kind of took a took a closer look and noticed more of them uh, at the base there breaking off. Right. Uh, so just wanted to get get some thoughts on that guy too. Well, that plant was grown uh, did you plant it or did somebody else plant it 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 came with the house as well came with the house normally with post oaks they're not planted uh, people don't sell post oak trees typically but it's very interesting that the roots are so close going by the base like that uh, but anyway the lean you know it's hard to predict and know uh, you know professional arborists could come out and take a look at it uh, they they different things they can do to try to assess uh, whether they think it's it's worth keeping or not for right now if it is not leaning towards something of great value which it looks like it's not leaning toward your house I don't know uh, then I would I would I would wait and watch it, it may be okay again your best bet would be to hire a certified arborist come out take a look at it sure. make any suggestions sure. it looks overall the tree looks pretty good a post oaks they took a hit this year and that one has all its foliage still yeah no we, we that's one we don't want to get rid of and so uh that's good to know okay well thanks skip i appreciate your opinion and can you give me that website again for the certified arborist uh, pl uh trees are good dot org not not like plants are us it's a-r-e right. trees a-r-e good yeah. <laughs> yeah. No toys are us. Yeah, no toys. Are, yeah. When I say trees are good, I, I, I always think somebody's going to think R is a letter R. <laughs> but sure. if you go there, there's a there's a click on certified find us find an arborist, and then you put in your zip code and how far out you want to go. Just know this, our local arborists are busy, 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 and there's some that aren't even sure. taking new new clients at this time. Uh, okay. Yeah. So it may may be a little bit of a hunt to find one. Sure. All, All right. righty. Well, thanks, Skip. Always appreciate it. All right, sir. Thank you for the call. I appreciate that. Nine seven nine eight four five five six eight nine eight four five fifty six eighty nine or by email garden success at tamu dot edu. Uh, I'll talk about some things going on out and about town. The Rio Brazos Audubon Society is going to have their monthly Birding 101 Bird Walk out at Lick Creek Park. We talk about these a lot. They have them regularly out there. It's your chance to walk through, learn about birds. Uh, they, if you have binoculars, bring them. Uh, if, you, if you don't, they usually have a, a loaner or two available out there. So bring water as you go walking. Uh, and they start, uh, it, it's on November 4th, that's the next, and that's a Saturday. Uh, and you get there at um, 8.30 a.m. And they they do some, uh, you know, talking, talk about the basics of identifying birds by sight and sound and, 
and uh, you know utilizing the field guides and things like that but that is it on November 4th if you'd like to learn more about birds this would be a great thing for for kids to do you know if a parent comes along and and just let them learn a little bit about looking for birds learning the sounds part of the cool stuff out there in nature uh, on November 3rd through 5th at the Antique Rose Emporium in Brenham their Fall Festival of Roses will be going on. Now, it starts off on Friday with a farm-to-table dinner. That's a ticketed event. you got to call in. you got to buy tickets for that. Saturday, they'll have food trucks and four to five speakers. Uh, the, on Sunday, they'll have a speaker and a little worship service as well there. Uh, this is at the Antique Rose Emporium, uh, and it is... Uh, 10,000 FM 50 in Brenham, Texas. Just do a go on your maps and, and do a search for Antique Rose Emporium. Uh, it's a wonderful place to visit. Uh, everything is free except the dinner, uh, except the dinner. So that's the Friday event. You can go to AREGardens.com, like Antique Rose Emporium Gardens.com, AREGardens.com, and you can learn more about what is going on out there at the Antique Rose Emporium. Uh, on, let's see, to, 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 to get my dates right here. Okay, Friday, November 10th, the A&M Garden Club is meeting at 9.30 at Peace Lutheran Church in their fellowship hall, and that's on Rio Grande Boulevard, where where Rio Grande Boulevard comes in, uh, you know, to the road going around around College State, Bryan College Station, or College Station, South College Station. Jay White, who is a publisher of Texas Gardener Magazine, is going to talk about heirloom bulbs, all you need to know. And if you want to find out more about that, you can go to amgardenclub.com, amgardenclub.com. Again, that's Friday, November 10th at 9.30 in the morning at Peace Lutheran Church. Uh, we'll reach out a little further out here. Uh, on Tuesday, November 14th, the A&M Women's Club Garden Interest Group, the gig, will be meeting at 9.30 at the George Bush Library Education Room. And the topic will be Inspired Holiday Designs uh, by someone who ought to know, Dr. Bill McKinley. He is the Texas A&M Ben's Endowed Chair of Floral Design and Senior Lecturer there uh, at uh, Texas A&M. So Inspired Holiday Designs, they're going to show you a design that is inspired by music and the upcoming season for table and home decor, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so if you want more details, you can email them at tamugig at gmail.com, tamugig at gmail.com. Let me see what else is going on here in the greater area. Oh, don't forget that our farmer's markets are always going on uh, here. We've got the the um, South Brazos County Farmer's Market Tuesdays from noon to 5. That's out uh, at the corner of University in Glenhaven, across from Scott & White Clinic. Uh, that's the South County Farmer's Market Tuesdays from noon to 5. And there's uh, also a South Brazos County Farmer's Market every Friday from noon to 5, same location, Tuesday and Friday from noon to 5. Then Farm Fridays is out on Tabor Road from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., so two hours each side of lunch. Uh, and they have a farmer's market there as well, including plants and all kinds of other farmer's market things. Uh, and then the College Station Farmer's Market. Now, this is a new one. It's at the Post Oak Mall parking lot, and it is on Saturdays from 8 a.m. to noon. College Station Farmer's Market. 
Post Oak Mall parking lot, 8 a.m. to noon. This is a new member-driven farmer's market featuring, you know, locally sourced products like you would expect uh, from a farmer's market. If you want more information on that one, uh, you can dial 979-530-3768. Uh, and finally, the Brazos Valley Farmer's Market in downtown Bryan at Main and 21st Street. And there every Saturday from 8 a.m. to noon, wide variety of all kinds of things uh, from produce to meats and eggs and uh, then the products that are pro pro processed like a, a jelly and jam and canned veggies, things like that. Uh, if you want more information on that one, their website is brazosvalleyfarmersmarket.com. brazosvalleyfarmersmarket.com. I believe we have covered everything for there. So there's still a lot of stuff going on out and about uh, around town. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about vegetable gardening and what we can be doing this time of the year out in the garden. So we are now at the end of October. That means that a lot of our cool season planting best time of the year is drawing to a close. Now you can plant things like broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, kale, kohlrabi, collards, all those blue leaf cruciferous vegetables. You can plant them all through the winter. But uh, if you want to go ahead and get them down uh, as soon as possible, at least by in the next week or so, so that you have the best results that you can. Now this is a, a prime time for planting carrots for example, that they love this kind of weather and the weather we're going to be having coming up. It's a prime time for planting garlic. Uh, th that is a crop I bet a lot of you haven't grown before. Uh, but garlic uh, does does very well here. It grows through the winter time, and we harvest it uh, as we get toward the end of spring. Uh, lettuce can be planted this time of the year as well. Just remember when you're planting things like oh I don't know uh, lettuce and spinach and some of the crops that they have a certain amount of harvestable time you know they don't, it's not like you can it's not like a carrot you pick the carrot and throw it in the crisper and it's there almost three months later it's still still doing pretty good there now lettuce you know you pick it and you got to eat it so how much lettuce do you eat at one time I mean think about this in the last three weeks how many uh, I don't want to say heads but the equivalent of that of lettuce have you eaten so if you plant, you know, a three foot by 10 foot patch of lettuce, you and every neighbor in your whole neighborhood is not going to be able to eat all that lettuce in the week that you need to probably be harvesting a week or two. It's not quite that. So just think about how much you plant and plant in successions. So you plant a little now, two weeks later, plant a little bit more, two weeks later, plant a little bit more. Uh, and that that way you have plenty of extra garden space for the other things that you enjoy growing. Mustard. For those of you who like mustard, we're in the big middle of a good time for planting mustard. It's very cold hardy and it does does very well here. Uh, if you got multiplying onions, go ahead and get those in now. That's the kind that you put one little, you know, finger-sized bulb in the ground and it just multiplies and at the end you have this whole clump of onions. Those are kind of cool. They're also perennial, meaning you can dig some up and, and reset them and just keep them going year after year. Uh, other root crops, radishes. Uh, this is a good time to get radishes in the ground. They're pretty cold hardy. And also, finally, uh, the spinach. Uh, it's an excellent time for, uh, I said 
uh, radishes. I also should have said turnips. You can still plant turnips. And then spinach. Spinach is very cold hardy. Uh, we'll be planting that on in well into November. Uh, so those are some crops you can try. Hey, if you've never gardened before, why don't you try gardening in a container? If you have a five-gallon bucket, drill a bunch of little you know, quarter-inch holes in the bottom of it for drainage and fill it full of a quality compost, or excuse me, potting soil, uh, and plant in it. You can grow you can grow carrots really well in a bucket, believe it or not. Uh, and then just make sure they're thinned out so they're not overcrowded. Uh, just they need to at least be the distance of the width of the carrot, maybe a little bit more uh, when it's mature or when you would harvest that variety. Uh, let's see, I've grown lettuce in buckets. I've grown kale uh, and cabbage and cauliflower and kohlrabi and all kinds of things in a bucket. My favorite container for planting things is a wheelbarrow. <laughs> you get a big wheelbarrow, make sure it has holes in the bottom for drainage, fill it full of a good quality compost. Uh, I keep saying compost. Uh, potting soil, potting mix, growing mix. Uh, and then you can grow all kinds of things. I had a wheelbarrow one year that had spinach and it had kale and had broccoli. Uh, what else did it have in that thing? Uh, there were some other, there were like one or two other, oh, arugula was growing in there. You can grow a lot of things in a wheelbarrow. And you know what the cool thing about a wheelbarrow is? You can move it to wherever there's sunlight. And maybe your garden doesn't get good sun, but I bet your driveway does. You put a wheelbarrow out there and get good sunlight. Uh, or if you have a frosty, freezy night, go right in the garage. It's really easy to move a wheelbarrow into the garage for cool weather. So that would be something the kids, I think, would enjoy too. Uh, and I think it's important to get kids involved in gardening. Uh, we know that the one of the biggest contributors to our health is what we eat or don't eat. And when it comes to fresh produce, that's important. And kids should learn that. And when they grow it, they're more likely to eat it. So get them involved. Let them have some fun. Uh, let them learn about gardening and be involved in it. And I just think it, you're setting them up uh, in many ways for uh, good things to happen for the rest of their life because of that exposure uh, to horticulture. That's why we here in the Horticulture Department have the Junior Master Gardener Program. It's an international program, and they're all about teaching people who teach kids how to garden and have success. Got great materials, by the way. If you'd like to learn more, just look for uh, Junior Master Gardener online, and, and you can find out all of the different publications and things they have, as well as some upcoming activities. They have programs all the time that you can get involved with and learn. Well, you've been listening to Garden Success. Thanks for listening. We're here every Thursday from 12 to 1, and I will be back next Thursday. Oh, excuse me, next Thursday. Uh, yes. No, next we have a special recorded show coming in for next Thursday. So I think I'm right about that. <laughs> we'll see you next time. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.